Uh, so we're in a, a series right now. We're winding it down. Next week is the last week that we're going to be sharing this series called Lost in Translation. Now, this is the first time that you've been here in a while. You don't know what Lost in Translation is. Let me just give you a super fast summary. Lost in Translation is a study about the names in the Bible to talk about or describe the person of Jesus Christ. Now, we know him as Jesus, or sometimes we give him his last name, right? Jesus Christ. Did you know that's not his last name? That's actually a title. And so we've been talking about who Jesus is and why these titles are significant. And we've called it Lost in Translation because, quite frankly, sometimes the titles and the names that the Scripture attributes to Jesus, sometimes for some reason maybe we read them so often or maybe we've never taken the time to study them, they just kind of lose their oomph. Not theologically, but in our own personal lives. We just tend uh, at some point to distance ourselves from the importance of what we're saying. Kind of like when we say, I love you. I mentioned this several weeks back that sometimes I have to intentionally stop myself when I'm on the end of a call with my wife from saying, I love you, bye, and hang up. No, that phrase means something. I shouldn't just glance over it and hang up. It, it, it needs to be... Uh, savored. It needs to mean something when we say it. And it's the same thing for the titles of Jesus when we look at them in the Word of God. So we've talked about a couple of them. We've talked about what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God? What does it mean to say that Jesus is our Savior? Today we're talking about what does it mean when the Bible talks about Jesus being the Son of Man? Now this is an interesting fact about the the phrase, Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus actually called Himself the Son of Man over and over and over in the Bible. And so because he uses that phrase to describe himself, I think it's important for us to use that uh, phrase to describe him and understand what it means. Now, before we look in in Mark chapter 14, what I want to do is to help explain why this is important. It's more than interesting. It's important. If you want to walk with the Lord It's important for two reasons. First, because if you're in love with the Lord, I want you to know everything that you can about Him. For for those of you uh, who who have married, for those of you who have married, or maybe for those of you who haven't married, but you're in a relationship, or for those of you who may not be in a relationship now, but at one point you were in a relationship, do you remember the infatuation phase of that relationship? where you just couldn't get enough of learning and learning and learning of everything that you could about that person that you were infatuated with or that you were in love with. Well, that's one of the reasons that I wanted for us to study this because I want for us to just learn everything that we can about the one that we're singing to for 30 minutes before I get up here and give the message. I want for us, when we talk about Jesus being the lion and the lamb, I want for us to know what that means. Here's another reason. Because you go into a world that's confused, sometimes broken, sometimes hostile to the faith that you carry, and you need to know who it is that the Word of God says Jesus is. And you need to understand When Jesus calls himself something, you need to understand why that matters. Because you go into the world and there's a lot of people who will look at you if you try to witness to them and say, what do you mean? Jesus is God. 
Jesus never claimed to be God. What are you learning down there at that church? That preacher's foolish. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus never calls himself God in the Bible. Maybe his disciples did. Maybe you do. Maybe that was a later development in the church to try to control the behavior of people. But one thing's for sure. You can't find in the Bible one place that Jesus calls himself God. Well, that's one of the reasons that it's important for us to study Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. Now, to get there, have I ever told you all the foolish things that I've said to my wife over the years? (laughs) One time, there was this one time, we were in the infatuation stage. I still am, baby. (laughs) But we were really in it. And I was trying to get her to fall in love with me. And I would sit up at night thinking about things to do to impress her. Now, guys, don't do that, right? (laughs) Be a man of God. Be who God wants you to be. And you'll attract the person that God wants you to have. So that's all free. That's a free lesson, by the way. But anyway, the point is, we were at this coffee shop. It was called Dietrich's Coffee Shop. I still remember where it was. And we were in that moment, you know, those little tables where you can barely put two coffee drinks down on. I had intentionally picked that table, right, so we had to be closer together. And we're talking, and I decide I'm I'm going for the heart. And I said to her, I want to tell you all of the amazing things that I think about you. Now, what I was trying to articulate is I want to tell you all of the things that are great, but it's impossible because they're endless. And I can't just name one or two, but instead I said, I want to name all of the awesome things about you, but I can't think of one. Now, you think preachers lie. Is that true? I said that, didn't I? And I didn't know what I had done until I saw the look on her face. So she thought we were breaking up in that moment. She thought I was telling her I can't find anything good about you. Well, the scripture that we're about to study in Mark 14 elicits a very powerful response like, the one that I elicited from my now wife, Crystal. But here's a difference between Jesus and me, okay? There's a lot of differences between Jesus and me. Here's the main one that I want to point out before we look at the Scripture. He intended to elicit the response that he got. In other words, he is about to say something incredibly provocative, right? And so that is the first point that I want you to understand. And I share it with you even before we look at the scripture, because it's that important in Mark chapter 14, Jesus has been rounded up by the leaders. This is the part where he's standing before all of the council of people and the high priest. If you don't know who the high priest is, super important person. He stands up and he says, what do you have to say for yourself? Jesus, Jesus doesn't speak. And so he continues to speak to Jesus. And in Mark chapter 14, here's where the word of God picks up. Now, in verse 60, here's what it says. 
It says the high priest stood up in the midst of the people and he asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? See, they've been lying about Jesus. They've gotten together. They've said, let's make up some lies. Let's get this guy crucified. And Jesus isn't answering. It says, so do you not have anything to say? What is it that these men testify against you? Scripture says, but he remains silent and he made no answer. So the high priest comes back around to it. And again, he asked him, are you the Christ the son of the blessed, or the son of the blessed. Now, here is where Jesus speaks. Now, think about this for a second. Of all the things that Jesus could say about himself, I want you to just put this into context. Of all the things that Jesus could have said about himself in that moment, in that pivotal moment, in that important moment, in that world altering moment of all the things that he could say here's what he says look with me in the scripture look with me in verse 62 jesus said i am meaning i am the christ that's what he's saying i am i am and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven So you see that Jesus' answer was provocative because of what response it elicits. So keep reading in the Scripture and look what happens. It says, the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and, and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. That means as they came into his guard, in, into their guard, they began to beat him. So what Jesus says was incredibly provocative when he uses that phrase, yes, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds. Now you think to yourself, perhaps, wow, what does that mean? Well, they knew exactly what it means, which is why he began to tear his garments. He called them blasphemous. He began, Jesus began to get beaten. Now, I have to tell you, that day, what I told you, I said to Crystal, it was stupid. It was a good try, but a swing and a miss, right? It was just dumb. But here's what I want you to see about Jesus. In that moment when it matters, he stood right in the pocket And he said exactly what he knew was true about who he was. And he was not affected or terrified or running from what the Father had for him. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds. Now some of us say to ourselves, yes and amen. Because that is the day that the Lord is coming back. And we may call it the second coming, or we may call it the return of the Lord. Some of us who've read the Scriptures and studied the Scriptures, we believe in this day where Jesus will come back for His church. We call it the second coming. And so some of us are saying, that's what Jesus is talking about. Well, I don't know how to correct you gently, but I will tell you this. Jesus is not talking about the future. He's talking about the Old Testament. You see, his reply is not only provocative, but it's also rooted in the Old Testament. You see, the Old Testament is the only scripture that Jesus had or the disciples had 
or the Apostle Paul had. In fact, it's interesting, you know, we talk about the, the, the Bible verse that says, all scripture is, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, training, and righteousness. And so we talk about the fact that scripture is God-breathed. But when Paul wrote that, you didn't have a New Testament. You see, the Old Testament was incredibly important to the people that we experience in the New Testament, Jesus included. And so as people of faith, as people of Jesus, sometimes we have the reputation for not treating the Old Testament with the importance with which we should or the power with which we should. You see, it's part of God's Word as well. And I want you to understand that when Jesus is referencing Himself as the Son of Man, He's not talking about fast-forwarding into the second return. He's talking about Daniel chapter 7, which is a prophecy about one coming. So what I want you to do is kind of hold Mark chapter 14, but if you would, turn over, turn backwards to Daniel chapter 7. And I want for us to see what it is that Jesus is talking about because it's important for us to understand if we care about knowing what Jesus thought about himself. When Jesus says, I am the son of man, what exactly did he mean by that? And he, he calls himself that often. He says, for the son of man did not come to serve, excuse me, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He says, when the man... When the four let the man down in the mat, he says, but so that you would know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin. And so often he calls himself the Son of Man. And usually we think that when Jesus is called the Son of God, it's talking about his divinity. When he calls himself the Son of Man, he's talking about his humanity. Actually, it's opposite. Daniel chapter 7 really brings into clarity what Jesus meant when he said that he was the Son of Man. Look with me, if you would, uh, in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel's talking about a vision that he had from God. The Lord was giving him a couple of visions, and in one of those visions, in chapter 7, verse 13, this is Daniel's uh, vision. He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So here's what's interesting. For many of us, when Jesus talks about coming on the clouds, we think on the timeline way over here, right, when the second coming occurs. Yes, there's a day that Jesus is coming on the clouds and he's going to come and for his bride, the church, and we'll be ready for him. We'll be worshipped up and prayed up and studied up and we'll be ready for Jesus to come on the clouds. Really, Instead of this side of the timeline, what Jesus is talking about is all the way back in here, the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7. Because in Daniel 7, the Lord allows him to see one like the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Now, a couple of important things are said about the Son of Man. I just want you to pick up on, here's why. Because they fit the character and identity of Jesus to perfection. First... He comes on the clouds. He comes from heaven, in other words. 
Now, the Word of God is so clear that although we celebrate the coming of Jesus at Christmas time, we have the manger, and we should. That's in the Bible. And we talk in terms of Jesus coming to earth at Christmas time. Here's what we have to realize. The Bible teaches that Jesus is not a created being. In fact, the book of Colossians teaches that Jesus was present at creation so that there's no creation that exists that wasn't done by, through, and for Jesus. Now, this may be new teaching for you. This may be something that you've never heard before, and it's going to take some time for you to think about and process, and that's okay. But here's what I want you to understand. The biblical teaching of Jesus is that He is not a created being. He is an eternal being. That's why we worship Him, because we only worship God. Jesus is divine. He comes from heaven. Now, I don't want to give you a biology lesson today, but you didn't come from heaven and I didn't come from heaven. We came from our mamas. The Scripture teaches that Jesus comes to us from heaven. He was pre-existent before creation. The theological importance of what we're talking about right now can not be overstated. Jesus is pre-existent God who existed before creation and time and everything else that you and I can think of. He came from heaven. According to the Word of God, He was active in creation. So Daniel chapter 7 says, first of all, that Jesus comes from heaven. Another thing that Daniel chapter 7 says, and if, if you'll look with me in verse 14, you'll see that the Scripture says that Jesus impacts the nations. Now, I will tell you that I have struggled at times with this narrow vision or picture of Jesus being my God. And, and forgetting and not remembering and not understanding that not only is Jesus my God, but He's the one who made the nations, He's the one who sustains the nations, and He's the one that the nations hunger for and long for. Now, here's what's interesting. Not one nation on this planet can lay claim to the fact that Jesus is theirs and theirs alone. Because our Lord is the Lord of all creation. And sometimes we think in terms of, well, uh, this God is the God of this nation or this region, and this God is the God of this. The Scripture crucifies that thought. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Savior, not just for the fellowship, not just for this county, not just for this state, and not just for this country, but there is no other Savior. The world will be saved through Jesus Christ or the world will not be saved. People here and people on the other side of the planet, Scripture teaches, will either find the Father through Jesus or they will not find the Father. And here's what the Scripture says in verse 14, that all people, nations, and languages should serve Him. So Jesus comes from heaven, impacts all creation, all people, all languages, all nations. 
and His kingdom is permanent and victorious. His kingdom is permanent and victorious. Now, a fair question. Why talk about that in here? There's hundreds of things that we could talk about theologically. What does it matter for our lives? I think that's a fair question. And what I want to do with the time that we have left is to explain how this matters to our life. In in other words, it may be theologically true to say that Jesus is the Lamb of God. It may be theologically true to say that Jesus is the Savior. It may be theologically true to say that Jesus is the Son of Man. But how does that change our lives? What When I go out these doors, or maybe these doors, or those, wherever your car is parked, whenever you leave today, what can you do a little bit differently to reflect the reality that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man? I want to give you some application points. I want to give you some actions for growth. Some things that you can incorporate into your life so that your life can come a little bit more under the umbrella or the banner of Jesus Christ. And the first has to do with yielding to the Lord. What can we do with this teaching? We can yield to to Jesus intentionally and with joy. Listen, the scripture says that Jesus is the Son of God and, and the Son of Man. And as the Son of Man, it means that He has this dominion and this kingdom and He's totally victorious and nothing can make His kingdom fall. So what does that mean? Well, it means I'm going to yield to Him, right? Philippians, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. So at some point in my life, I am going to yield to the Son of Man. I should start now. I should do it intentionally. And I should do it with joy. For those of you who have kids, isn't there a difference in your house when a child yields to you intentionally and when you have to force a child to yield to you? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But in our household... When, when the children are respecting the authority, the God-given authority of the parents, it just operates differently, right? When it's with joy. When my three kids say, Dad, I'd love to do that because you're my dad and God has placed you as the biblical authority in my, over my house and, and over me and it is a pleasure to obey your request, Dad, with joy. I would love to take the trash out. I should stop. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying. Jesus is the Son of Man. He reigns on high. There's nothing that you can do to stop that. There's nothing that I can do to stop that. There's nothing the nations can do to stop that. There's not a president or a king on this planet that can stop the reign of Jesus Christ. Now you have to decide, am I going to get on that train or not? And I don't mean to be abrupt with that, but I do just, because I love you, want to say this as clearly as I can. You will yield to Jesus in this life or the next. And so what do we do with the reality that Jesus is the Son of Man? Yield. Yield to Him with intentionality 
and with joy. That's one way that we can leave from here and apply the reality of Jesus being the Son of Man to our life. Now, there's a second way. I want to share the second way with you. It is living with confidence and courage. Look, I know the world beats us up sometimes. There are days that I feel discouraged. There are days that I have spiritual goals that I have set for myself and I don't hit them and I feel guilty about them. There are practical goals that I set for myself and sometimes I don't hit them and I feel bad about myself. Sometimes I look at the news and I feel defeated and deflated and discouraged. And sometimes just living in this world makes me feel like the kingdom of God is just getting whipped everywhere I turn, right? Because there's such rebellion and there's such refusal to yield with intentionality and with joy but here is what i want to preach to myself i can live with confidence and courage even in a culture and context that may not yield to the reign of jesus because my king's dominion is eternal There's nothing that can stop it. There's nothing that can diminish it. And there's no kingdom that can outlive it. So is it hard to stay focused? I don't have to preach this to you, no. You live in the same world I live in. It's easy to get distracted. And it's easy to feel deflated. And it's easy for us to feel like the church is on the run. Hey, we're not on the run. We're attached to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can live with confidence and courage even in Babylon because our God never loses. So let's yield with intentionality and with joy. Let's live with confidence and with courage. And then let's serve. Let's serve the Lord. Let's don't just yield to Him. Let's serve Him. Let's serve Him with consistency. Let's serve Him with passion and with vigor. With everything that's in our beings, let's serve God. Look with me, if you would, going back to Daniel chapter 7, if you're still there. If you've gone back to Mark 14, just stay there. Let me just read this to you. Here's what it says. And to Him was giving dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. So what is the natural, appropriate, biblical response to God's people with the Son of Man? Well, it's to serve Him. Now, do we need to yield to Him? Yes, we need to yield to Him. Do we need to live with confidence and courage? Yes. But the Scripture says that the nations will serve the Son of Man. Hey, let's get a head start on that. So what can we do with this? Well, we can leave here today. And we can think to ourselves, what can I do before the sun goes down tonight, March the 24th, 2019? Before March the 25th rolls around, what can I do to serve God? What can I do to serve the Son of Man? Maybe it's something that you can do to serve God in your household. Maybe there's something at your job or at your school that you can do To serve the Son of Man. I say this often. I just think it's important to say it frequently. 
It's one thing to think about the Son of Man. It's one thing to talk about the Son of Man. It's one thing to reflect about and meditate on the Son of Man. But the appropriate response here in Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 is for us to serve the Son of Man. That's what I want to end with this morning is asking you the question, do you serve the Lord? I don't mean do you have an official responsibility at the fellowship. I'm just asking in your life, do you serve the Son of Man? You may say, well, I've been distracted. There's been a lot of things going on in my life. You know, I love you. And I understand that a lot of things can go on in life and can distract us. But can I also, with just as much gentleness and grace as I can, express to you that that's not an adequate excuse for failing to serve the Son of Man? Now, you may be here this morning and you're saying to yourself, well, I want to serve him, but I have a lot of questions about who he is. Well, we've answered some of them, probably haven't answered all of them, but we did discover that Jesus is eternal and he's straight from heaven, right? And that he impacts the nations and that his kingdom will never fail. Now, maybe there's a lot that you still have to learn. But again, with as much grace and gentleness as I can, can I suggest to you that lack of knowledge doesn't give you a reason not to serve the Son of Man? You see, we could go through list after list and reason after reason for not serving the Lord. But in the end, no matter what it is, we would have to come to this conclusion. For me to know that Jesus was victorious, walked out of the tomb, as we're getting ready to celebrate in a couple of weeks, for me to not serve Him, whatever the reason would be, ultimately becomes inappropriate and something that really is just an excuse for us not serving Him. I'm not trying to step on your toes at the end of the message. I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. What I am trying to do is to be faithful and to remind you that the Son of Man sits on the throne. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And it is our job to yield to Him and to serve Him. Now I make this commitment to you before we pray and close. If you would say, I want to serve Him, but I don't know how, I will personally help you. I don't want there to be anybody at the fellowship that has a hunger to serve the Son of Man, but doesn't because they don't know how. I would be privileged to help you learn how to serve the Lord. I want for us to pray. I want for us to close this morning by praying. Would you stand up where you're at? And let's just close with a time of prayer. Thanking God for bringing us together. Before I pray out loud, I just want to give you a moment's time to just be with the Lord. I know you're standing next to people. You're thinking about releasing. You're thinking about what it is that you're going to do next. But I just want to give you some space to focus for a couple of moments on the Lord. To give you a chance to talk to Him. 
to respond to Him. We've talked about a really theologically important phrase, Jesus is the Son of Man. But I hope that what has been clear is that it is also of incredible practical importance. Lord, we admit that sometimes we have some thick skulls and we don't like to yield. In fact, Lord, um, I would guess that for some of us, at least here, that word is like a bad word, yield. And then to do it with joy is probably just an incredible Ask for some. And so I pray for those people this morning in the name of Jesus that they would see a vision of what life is like when we are yielded and surrendered to you. That we don't lose humanhood, but in fact we actually gain it. Because the perfect humanity is one that yields to our Creator. So I pray that you would give us a hunger to be whole and to be made new and to live life in the vision from which you created us. A trusting, yielding relationship between the Creator and us, the created. I also pray for the people here today that's living the deflated and distracted Christian life. I pray that you would give them the courage and the power to refuse substitutes and watered-down versions of the Christian faith in which we, your followers, are running for the hills because we've lost the war. And that instead you would give us the vision that you gave Isaiah. That you would allow us to see you high and lifted up. That you would give us a picture of a bloody cross but an empty tomb. That you would give us a picture of you, Jesus, according to Revelation. Conquering and victorious. And that we would live such lives that the world around us would know that you have transformed us. And I pray for us to serve you faithfully. I pray a pastoral prayer over every person in this fellowship that what we learn here would translate into our home And that we would do so much more than talk about serving. But in our homes, we would serve you. At our jobs, we would serve you. At our schools, we would serve you. Give us the strength, Lord, 
Give us the courage. Give us the power. Give us everything that we need. We pray. We pray for this in the powerful, mighty, holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want for us to close by you just hearing me tell you that I love you so much. And I know that I challenged some of our thinking today and some of our ways of being. But I hope that you know it's because I want you to thrive. I want you to know what it means to walk with the Son of Man. So you are loved. I love you dearly. I pray that you thrive this week. And I want to, I want to pray that over you in this blessing uh, that we share every single week. In a moment, we're going to dismiss with the blessing. Uh, but if you need prayer, if something has happened today that's caused you to need prayer, or if it's not something that happened today, but just a circumstance or decision that you have to make, right over here is our prayer chapel. And when we dismiss, there'll be people there ready to pray with you and to pray for you. Uh, also, if you're a guest, again, we're glad that you're here. There's a welcome center. If you don't mind visiting that before you go today, we would love to share a gift with you. But um, what shall I say? Clearly, we have been in the presence of God today.